Gentlemen, you're listening to Saturday Morning Coffee on the Gird Up Podcast, and we're going to get into that in just a second, but before we do, i got to advertise. You know I have to, so make sure you're following us on social media. Make sure you sharing all of our social media stuff with your friends and family and relatives, even if that just means putting it on your page and tagging us, man. It helps. It helps people get drawn into what we're doing here. If you hear an episode that really resonates with you or something's going on, some commentary we put out that you really love, make sure you're sharing that with friends and family and relatives and and talking about the work that we're doing. If you ever get an opportunity to meet us, to interact with us, please do that. Um, we're at men's conferences and retreats. Um, there's a one coming up at the end of March, the last weekend in March, it's the Iron Men of God Conference. Go look it up online, register, get there. It's going to be good. Uh, I got to interact with the man in charge. Uh, I really enjoyed shaking his hand, actually. He's a big, work-swollen hand. Um, he's the kind of guy that you, that you can learn a lot about manhood from. Anyway, I'm getting way off topic here. If you want to support this podcast financially, um, you can either advertise right on the podcast, buy yourself an ad, let me know what you want to sponsor or how you want to sponsor it. Um, You can find all our contact information at the end of the podcast. Otherwise, if you want to support us financially and you don't want to be on the podcast, you can go to our PIP, nope, Patreon account, and uh, all that information is on the end of the podcast as well. I love you all. I hope you enjoy today's episode of Saturday Morning Coffee. Let's get into the show. You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that God created us to be. Now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. All right, I'm going to be honest. I don't know how to introduce this, <laughs> uh, but it's something that's on my heart and my mind. I've wanted to talk about it for a while, and I want to give you a nudge in a specific direction here. Um, I want to talk about inequality and in, injustice um, and some various other things as well. There's a, there's a big movement right now that gets labeled as social justice, and a lot of times what's being labeled as social justice in this day and age is actually not justice at all. It's, a, it's an overcompensation um, oftentimes, it's even it even involves some censorship of certain people and certain ideas, and there's a lot of blame that flies around. Um, and and I don't think that the blame flying around is is beneficial to anybody. I don't think it's beneficial to the victims of injustice and inequality, and I don't think it actually inspires any change. Um, all it does is alienate people. And, and it makes the situation even more divisive, and it just drives people away from each other instead of driving people together. So what I want to do is just have a conversation about it today. I want to talk about it in the light of God's Word, in the light of Scripture, um, and I want to share some information with you and then hopefully nudge you in the direction uh, that a godly man should be headed in. So um, I, let's just get into it, man. We live in a time... Uh, in America right now, we live in a time of great wealth, and really and truly, the pe- even the people at the very bottom of the socioeconomic ladder in America right now are more wealthy than people than most people all over the world, and just about anyone and everyone in the history of the world lived with less wealth than the 
very bottom of the socioeconomic ladder in America does today. Um, and people talk about that all the time, and they claim like you'll hear people you'll hear people talking about how um, slavery was actually good for black Africans because they're better off in the United States than they were in Africa. And first of all, that's stupid and divisive and insane. Um, and you cannot claim that something that evil was good and beneficial. Just don't, just, just, just don't do that, <laughs> and don't go there. And I'm not going to argue about that. Um, because there's something we need to understand. There's something we need to understand. Um, and this whole podcast isn't going to be about blacks and whites. I'm not going to. But there is something we need to understand. There's actually three things we need to keep in mind. Is Number one, wealth is not a consistent marker of health and happiness. Okay? Uh, there's, no, there's very little correlation, actually, between wealth and health and happiness. So people in the United States who are super, like, filthy rich, they're less happy on average than people in the middle class. And people in the middle class and even people living in poverty um, who are, on average, much happier than people who are filthy rich, um, the people in the middle class and in even living in poverty who are happy and healthy share some things in common like um, healthy marriages. Uh, healthy, like they, they take care of their bodies. They're physically healthy. They have families. They, they have two parent homes. All these different markers, these signs of, of godliness and morality make them have, like that, that is a marker for happiness, not wealth. Okay. And actually I don't have a statistic in front of me, but I've seen the statistic before that people in third world countries on average are happier and more content than people in the United States are. So wealth is not a good measurement of being happy and healthy at all. So that argument goes right out the window. The second thing we need to keep in mind is that regardless of our politics, we are all called to serve those who are poor and needy. We are all called as children of God to serve widows and orphans, to serve those who are needy. And number three, poverty and disparity have an undeniable impact on hearts and minds, and therefore they have an undeniable impact on souls. Okay? And in today's political climate, this is a point of hot contention, both from a racial standpoint, from a socioeconomic standpoint. Um, there's a lot of people presenting ideas of socialism. There's a lot of people on the opposite end who are extreme capitalists who say, if you are not rich, it's your own darn fault because you're lazy. And, and Proverbs is clear about laziness. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs says, in so many words, um, laziness leads to slavery. Laziness leads to cruel slavery. Like If you're going to be lazy, sooner or later, you're going to be a slave. Whether you want to take that literally or not, it's, it's in Scripture. It is God-breathed, and it is a truth of the way the world works. But right now, in our current political climate, we need to be super careful about uh, politics versus religion, politics versus personal beliefs, and not jumping into one camp or the other and letting them control our hearts and minds. Maintaining our independence, our ability to think independently, and our ability to determine truth based on the canon of Scripture. All right, and I, I, I want to talk about I want to talk about poverty a little bit, obviously. Um, so here we go. Regardless of race, we know that poverty is destructive. According to the Department of Justice, from the years of 2008 to 2012, persons living in poverty were twice as likely 
so persons living in poverty, are twice as likely to experience violent victimization as those who live above the poverty line. So anyone who is living in poverty is twice as likely to be the victim of violent crime than someone who lives above the poverty line. Persons in poverty also have a higher rate of gun violence, so being a victim of gun violence, and poor people have the highest rates of violent victimization, and there were almost identical rates of violence between blacks and whites living in poverty. So um, people who are living in poverty are more likely to be the victims of crime, and no matter what your race, you have the same rate of crime. If you are living in poverty, actually, so I'll give you the numbers here. 51.3 people out of every 1,000 living in poverty that are black are victims of violent crime. And 56.4 people per every 1,000 whites living in poverty are victims of violent crime. So it's actually a little bit higher for whites who are living under the poverty level. And now we're going to go, before you get all angry and start hooting and hollering, let me get into the rest of the statistics and we'll talk about the differences between blacks and whites. Um, the demographic with the highest unemployment rate in the United States right now is 16 to 24-year-old men. These 16 to 24-year-old men who have the highest unemployment rate in the country are also the most likely demographic to commit a crime. They're most, they're most likely demographic to be um, convicted of a crime. And the most common crime in this demographic is theft. So just think about that logically for a second. The demographic with the highest unemployment rate is the most likely to commit crime, and the crimes that they're most likely to commit are theft. You have men who have been robbed of their uh, identity and their purpose, or they've given it away. You can make that argument. But they they no longer have a purpose. They uh, They no longer have a vocation, at least in their eyes, as men, and they get desperate. They're desperate. And what do desperate people do? They take matters into their own hands and they do something crazy. Okay, And so the it, it's no mystery to me why. It makes sense to me that the demographic with the highest unemployment rate would also be the demographic that's most likely to steal something. Doesn't that make sense? I think it makes sense. Now we're going to start get, getting into race. Okay. Well, first of all, 31% of all single mothers live in poverty, which is something to keep in mind for later on. And one in five children in the U.S. are unable to receive an adequate level of nutrition because of their because they live under the poverty level. So they live they're so deep into poverty poverty that they are unable to receive adequate level of nutrition. This isn't that they like they can't afford it, but mom chooses to buy them pop tarts instead. This is they cannot afford. The government has has decided that they cannot afford good nutrition. Okay. Now, I, 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 I uh, jumped again a little earlier, but now we're going to get into blacks and whites. Ready? Here we go. Crime rates between whites and blacks living in poverty and the crime rates between people living in, in uh, urban and rural settings are virtually identical. So the same percentage of white people who live in poverty and black people who live in poverty commit crimes. And the same percentage of black people and white people who live in poverty are victims of violent crime. Those those numbers are virtually identical. Here's where the differences start. Here's where the differences start. Black juvenile offenders 
in the United States are held in custody on average five times longer than white or Hispanic offenders. Let me say that again. Black juvenile offenders in the United States are held in custody five times longer than white or Hispanic offenders. Okay. Now let's take a look at incarceration rates for adults. 3.8% of all white people in the United States are incarcerated. 3.8%. Okay. 9.6 of the Latino population in the United States is incarcerated. 9.6%. 22% of the black population of the United States is incarcerated. Compare that to 3.8% of the United of, of white people in the United States. Think about that. 3.8% of white people in the United States are incarcerated at some point in their lives. 22% of all black people are incarcerated. That's nuts. Blacks comprise only 13.4% of our population, but they comprise 38% of incarcerated Americans. So you have 13.4% of, of, of the entire population of the United States comprises 38.1% of incarcerated Americans. The white poverty rate in the United States is 8.7%. The black poverty rate in the United States is 21.2%. Again, the white poverty rate in the United States is 8.7%. The black poverty rate in the United States is 21.2%. What's this got to do with me? First of all, you got to understand the issues and see the injustices that are going on in the United States right now. There's a lot of people who I you think about it this way, okay? If they're of only 13. Point, what is it? 13.4% of the United States is black and 73% of the United States is white. That means that there are a lot of people in the United States who are disconnected with the uh with the current situation that black people face in America. We're disconnected with the challenges that they face. We don't see it on a daily basis. I have the blessing of being in a situation where I get to see that every single day. I get to see that every single day. There are students at my school who I interact with every single day who have fathers in prison and mothers in prison. Every single one of my students that I interact with every day is living underneath the poverty level. I get to see this on a daily basis, but most of the United States does not because 73% of the people in the United States are white and only 13% of the people in the United States are blacks. And so that means that there's a significant population in the United States that doesn't see firsthand what's going on in the black community. And that is not the, that is not necessarily your fault. It's not a, uh, we're not, not putting any blame on white people. I'm saying a lot of people are not understanding and do not understand just how hard it is to be a black person in America. All right, and, and once we understand the injustices and inequalities that, that people of color in the United States face, then we start to understand some of the things that are going on in the United States. All right, and I'm not I'm not condoning any any kind of violence, and I'm not I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm not talking about politics right now. I'm saying we have to understand that there is an issue, a very clear issue that's substantiated by fact. There's a very clear issue that needs to be addressed. And as Christians who are called to serve those who are underprivileged and those who are downtrodden, 
It is our duty as Christians to fight against this kind of inequality. Number two, my encouragement, as always, is to be incredibly involved in politics. Be involved in politics, but maintain your independence um, both in your allegiances and in your thoughts. Okay, do not let yourself be 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 like you. Do be involved in politics and do your part to move the country forward. Okay, but don't let politicians and media and political parties and uh, and identities and political identities and all all that mess. Don't let that mess. Um, manipulate and control your thoughts. You need to maintain freedom of thought and independent thought. You need to be looking at information independently. You need to be searching out information and thinking for yourself and grounding all of your thoughts and all of your ideas firmly in Scripture. And then you will be able to appropriately interact with the injustice that we're seeing around us in the United States. Okay, the, the people that are the people in politics want you to feel like you are a victim. People in, in in the news media want you to feel like a victim because when you feel like a victim, then they can control you and they can tell you what to feel and what to think and what to hear. And that's whether you are a marginalized person or not, whether you are a, a whether you are a person who is a minority or not, whether you live in poverty or not, whether you are, like I said, a marginalized or victimized person or not, they want you to feel like a victim so that they can better control you. They can better tell you how to think and how to act. So don't let that happen to you. Maintain your independence of thought and don't surrender your freedoms and liberties, um, especially in your brain and in your thoughts to a politician or to a political enterprise or political group. You have to maintain your independence. Um, and three, guys, we, we, we need to take action. We need to, once we see that there's injustice and equality, it's our job as Christians, as servants of a Heavenly Father, to go out and be difference makers in the world and difference makers in the lives of those who are underserved and underprivileged. Uh, I want to start in, in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought them or brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now there are some people that use this text as as a foundation for socialism. Um, and I don't agree with that. I think that we can throw that out. Although we do certainly um, we do certainly agree with some of the ideals of uh, of socialism because you think about it, like we have a police force. We have a a uh, fire department. Uh, we pay taxes so that roads can be made. Those are all socialist ideas. Uh, I, and not that I want the country to be socialist. I don't think our country should be socialist. Um, but we have to understand that some of these co- those concepts of uh, of paying taxes and, and um, being a part of a larger community that's a biblical concept. You can see it right here. Uh, on the flip side, though, <laughs> the reason socialism is not a good idea is that the very next chapter, chapter five, is this chapter about Ananias and Sapphira and greed. Even in this society, this utopic, um, utopian 
moment in biblical history here doesn't last very long because almost as soon as it starts, Ananias and Sapphira get greedy and start lying about how much they have. That's exactly why socialism doesn't work is that people are sinful in nature. But like I said, it's not a political commentary, so we're going to move on. What you see here is philanthropy. What you see is Christians who look at each other and say, there's a need that I can fill. There's a need that I can alleviate, and so they do what they need to do to alleviate that need. It's as simple as that. And we need to follow that example. We ought to follow that example. When we see a need, if we have the ability to address it, let's address it, and let's move forward. Okay. Um, the next passage I want to talk about is from 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. It says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? The Lord tells us that the love of God will inspire us to take care of the physical needs, the emotional needs of the people around us. God says, I've given you blessings, now take care of each other. Because if you have no pity on your brother in need, how can the love of God be in you? Pretty clear to me. Isaiah 58 verse 10 says, If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. We've talked about 150 times about the idea that we are light shining in the darkness. As men of God, it is our duty and our job to shine as light shining in the darkness. Be that lighthouse that guides people to the Heavenly Father. How about the book of Proverbs? The book of Proverbs has an endless supply, well, it's not quite endless, but an endless supply of of Proverbs about helping the poor. Proverbs 9 verse 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 14, verse 31 says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs 22, verse 9 says, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Proverbs 28, verse 27 says, Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will, will get many a curse. Proverbs 29, verse 7 says, A righteous man knows the rights of the poor, and a wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Proverbs 14, verse 21 says, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 21, 13, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge wisely, and defend the rights of poor and needy. There's an endless supply. It keeps going. 20, Proverbs 22, verses 22 and 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crusty afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their cause and rob life of those who rob them. Proverbs 17, verse 5 says, Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker, and he who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Proverbs 22, verse 16 says, Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives, wealth, or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Guys, it's very clear in Scripture that we are supposed to take care of the poor. We're supposed to take care of the needy, and we're supposed to look out for the needs of others. It's something we need to take seriously, and here's why. You might know where I'm going here, Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verses 31 to the end of the chapter, tells a very clear proverb. Jesus told this in the last week of his life. He says, When the Son of Man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put on the sheep he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, 
you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance and the kingdom of heaven prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit, go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and needing clothes or sick in prison and we did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The righteous will answer him, When did we see you hungry or thirsty or in prison? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. You want to serve your heavenly father? Go take care of widows and orphans. Go take care of the oppressed. Go fight for the afflicted. Go find a way to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ and go find a way to spread good news to the entire world. Not just those you're comfortable talking to. Not just those who meet you at your level. Go out. Find people who need help. Find people who are oppressed. If you don't have money, serve them physically. If you do have money, feel free to give to them, man. Find a way to serve those who are underserved and underprivileged. It is your calling as a man of God. God bless you. God keep you. Have a great week. Go out and be the man that God created you to be. Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.